Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. So I think there's no more um, place that like hierarchical systems still exist today, especially in the West, than when you're flying somewhere on a plane. And like it's the one place where it kind of just feels like a hierarchy, whether you're um, flying coach or you're flying first class. And I know I shouldn't feel this way. Like if you're a business traveler or whatever and you fly first class all the time, I don't like you. And... <laughs> I don't have any reason to, and I don't think, like, this is probably not you, but when I'm getting on the plane, I just immediately feel like you're pretentious, and you didn't do anything to create that. I'm just telling you, I I feel that way, and it just feels like, I don't know, man, like, you you get to the airport, and you've got whatever that utopian little room is that you've got that, I don't know what's in there, but it seems legit, and you, you know, casually saunter onto the plane um, ahead of everybody else, and you sit in your massive seats with lots of leg room, um, eating leg of lamb and good wine and your little moist towelette on your head. And it's just, I just don't, in that moment, I just don't like you. And then, and then you're flying coach, like you immediately get to that curtain area, and the smell changes like right when you walk through that. To the point of, I'm not even sure they clean past that point. I think they get up to the curtain. You're like, eh, it's coach. It doesn't matter. It's disgusting. Um, so they know what they're getting. But I, I just, so, and then here's the other thing. If you've got kids, some of you know what I'm talking about. That is a whole nother um, feeling of a class system and being a social pariah when you are walking into the airport because you're walking through the airport with three toddlers, which we have, and everybody is looking at you going, oh God, I hope they're not coming to my terminal. <laughs> Please, I hope they're, and I'm not perceiving, I'm telling you that happens. Like I, and then I get kind of aggravated, so I just stare them down. Like I know what you're looking at. Um, and then you get to the terminal, it's like, oh, and the, so then it starts all over. They get onto the plane and you're walking on and everybody's going, please, please, please tell me that. So I just get onto the plane with our three toddlers and just walk down the aisle going, they all have Benadryl, they all have Benadryl. They're gonna go to sleep in five minutes. They all have Benadryl, it's fine. And uh, that's a true story. But it just, it just kind of feels like, and then the other thing, like you've all, um, middle school, if you remember back in middle school, that this kind of a class system um, where you want, you, there's always that table that you want to get to, you know what I'm talking about? And so, and there's always different groups and a lot of those groups are timeless, but some of them change. You always got the jocks, but now you've got like um, the memesters, this is 2018, and that's the, that's the equivalent of the nerds today. Um, and you've got all kinds of other categories from the cyber goss to the woke girls to, so there's all these different tables and you want to, no, I'm, this is the real thing. And so you want to get to that one table. So in middle school, I loved books and I loved art. So I never got to the table that I was 
um, looking for until fourth grade. And I finally got a girlfriend in fourth grade. And this is, is a true story too. Um, they did a talent show and she did a dance to Whitney Houston's I Want to Feel the Heat with Somebody. And immediately it elevated my status and I got a new table at the middle school lunchroom. So, um, but all of us have experienced that. And so here's my point, I, I got to move on. I don't think that ever really leaves us. Like at some level it does, but there, there's always this thing in us where we're jockeying for position. And so we pretend it's a middle school thing, but it, it kind of goes with us where we all, like we want to be somebody, we want to be noticed, we want to be known for something, we want to be looked to. There, there's just that thing inside of us. And, and here's the thing that we actually believe as Jesus followers is that God put that in you. Like there is actually this, this thing being made in the image of God where, where God has put this thing in you to, to desire to be great. But he defined it and he kind of leads the way in terms of what that looks like. And so it, that desire to be great, to be somebody, it, it actually is wired in us by God. But if we don't understand how he defines it or how he leads the way in terms of, of, of just modeling greatness, it quickly leads us off the rails. Like you've seen this, you've seen a parent at a soccer field and they go nuts over their eight-year-old who cannot do a bicycle kick and they just learn to not wet their pants, Right. But it's just, you start to, okay, like, I'm going to find greatness through my kid. Or you get into a situation where you start looking at a decision you wouldn't have considered in a previous season of your life to try to achieve or get to what you want to get to a little quicker. Um, you, you start to, um, I, I don't know, you, you start to look at things and leverage things, even in relationships where you kind of become the center of it. And it just can quickly go off the rails. But I'm telling you, Jesus has put that in you. And here's the thing. If you start to talk about the church or Jesus followers, we should understand this better than anybody. But I think, and this is not just a church problem, it's a cultural problem, but I think we have misdefined and lost our definition of greatness as Jesus has defined it. Like, I think you look at the church in many cases, I've tried to be honest in this series, and it's a, a lot of jockeying to build our kingdoms and separate us depending on denominational affiliation and build our little thing and territory and, and leaders that get into a place where they start to leverage authority and power for the sake of them rather than for the sake of other people. And we become a, an arm of a political party and it's about, we gotta take back and get control and, and re-secure um, you know, re whatever we need. And like that, that becomes, and, and one person is with me, so I'm feeling good about this talk. Um, <laughs> that that, that kind of becomes our pursuit of greatness. It, it's about buildings and trend lines. And I think Jesus steps into that to go, that is not what greatness looks like. But you have been destined for greatness. I mean, let me just tell you this as Jesus followers. I always want to speak this because we so easily forget it is if you place your faith and trust in Christ, do you know what that means? The church generally teaches we get forgiven for your sin. It's way bigger than that. The, the scripture says that when you place your faith and trust in Christ, you don't just get forgiveness, you get Jesus' life and you get the power deposited in you. I don't know how fully that works, but the power that raised Jesus from the dead on Easter weekend, like the same power that after Jesus died was put into a grave and then decided after three days he was done and was gonna secure himself from that grave. He took off all of the, the mummification and folded it up real neatly and nicely. I don't know if you know why he did that because in that culture, when you were 
done with a meal and weren't gonna be back, you would fold things up and put it on the plate. And Jesus is like, I just want everybody to know I'm done with what I came to do. I'm not coming back to this tomb. I've defeated death. I've defeated the power of sin. And when you place your faith and trust in me, you don't just get forgiveness. You get the same power that raised the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Lion of Judah and the great I am out of the grave that is deposited in you. Which means, I just always wanna say this, some of you today are under the confines of an addiction or a habit or I'm never gonna free myself from this or I don't think it's ever gonna get better. I don't think this relationship could ever change. And you need to begin to refocus your thoughts on what is true. And when you refocus your thoughts on what is true, it doesn't make it true, but if it is true, it unleashes its power. And so you need to begin as you walk out of here to remind yourself today, you may not be living in that reality, but there is no no sin, there is no dysfunction, there is no dis, dysfunctional circumstance that can keep you at a place where you can never get to the other side of it. And when you begin to look up and understand, I have the power of the spirit of God in me and I can walk out of here and I can say no in any circumstance and in any dysfunction and to any sin because I know who my dad is, I know what happened on Easter weekend and I know that power that was working it that weekend is now inside of me. So that's not even the message, but I just want to tell you that. But my point is, just preaching for a minute, my point is God's put something in you. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you ever embrace Jesus, there's something in you for, for greatness, but greatness is defined by him. And I think if we could recapture what Jesus taught and model, I think the reputation of the church would change. I think for a lot of us, the reputation of Jesus followers would change. I think and this is the thing that's most important to me, I think the filter that many have placed on Jesus and the reputation of Jesus would begin to change. In fact, I think, I think history would be different. From the Inquisitions to the Crusades to being way behind on civil rights to even some of the stuff that's going on today if we would just look at Jesus. And so in, in the first century, you maybe know this encounter, Jesus was with his guys, he's heading to Jerusalem. This is toward the end of Jesus' life and they know that things are not good. Like things are starting to spiral out of control and the crowds are starting to leave and Jesus is not as popular anymore. And so his disciples are not as popular anymore. And, but they still believe that Jesus is gonna usher in some kind of kingdom because he promised. So we're waiting for the kingdom to be ushered in. And on the way to Jerusalem, James and John are with them. And James and John, I love this, um, turn to Jesus away from the rest of the guys because they don't want him to hear. And they're like, hey, Jesus, um, we're gonna, we wanna ask you a question, but we're wondering if you will just go ahead and say yes now to whatever we ask. Would you give it to us? And it's like when somebody's like, hey, are you free on Saturday? <laughs> Depends on what you're gonna ask me to do on Saturday, whether I'm free or not. My kids do this all the time. They'll come to me, hey, hey, dad, 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 just, just say, we got a, a question for you. Just say yes, just say yes, just say yes, just say yes. That's my daughter, Brooke. No, I'm not stupid. I know that whatever I say yes to is gonna have a hefty price tag on it. No, I'm not gonna. So James and John are with Jesus. And they're like, just, just give us whatever we ask. And so Jesus kind of plays along. He's like, all right, guys, what, what do you want? And they're like, okay, when you, um, kind of embarrassed to ask, but when you, <clears throat> when you usher in the kingdom, can we like, be a part of your cabinet? Can we be your guys? Can we like, we wanna be great. So can we have like VIP access? Like when this kingdom comes in and overthrows Rome and all the things they were expecting, can like, can we be like right with you at your right and left? Like we wanna help you rule the kingdom. Can we do that? And Jesus is like, okay, I love that you wanna be great. 
But number one, you don't understand the kingdom that I'm ushering in and you don't understand how I'm about to redefine greatness. I'm not sure if you'll even want it when I define it for you. And then his guys hear about it and they're like, okay, James and John shouldn't be asking this question. It's inappropriate. And we want to be a part of that too. And so like you need to knock it off. And so Jesus just takes this opportunity. Mark records it in this little ancient document that was included in the New Testament. Mark records a conversation where as they're moving to Jerusalem and having this conversation, Jesus called them together and said, all right, we, we need to have a talk. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lorded over them. Like all those in our culture right now, Lord, they, they have authority over the Gentiles. Like they use that authority, they use that leverage, they use that influence in order to prop themselves up. And their high officials exercise authority over them. And so Jesus' disciples are like, yeah, that's why we're asking. That's, that's kind of the purpose and the point. That's what everybody's asking after in a culture of might makes right. Like we want to, we want to have some authority. We want to have some leverage, especially over Rome. Like we want to be a part of that. We want to get a better parking space. We want to get a bigger bonus. We want people to look at us. We want them to know how great we are. We want to be the guy when we walk into the room, we want to have leverage in the conversation to be able to shut them down. It's what everybody's after. Like, yeah, you want that. You want to have the upper hand. 2000 years later, that that's what we all want. We want to be autonomous. We want to be on our own. We want to be the guy that everybody looks to. So yeah, like we know we lord, they lord it over them. That, but that's, that's what we want. In verse 43, Jesus looks at them. Not so with you. Not in my movement. Not among my followers. And not the way that I'm about to define greatness for you. Uh-uh. And instead, and this is so offensive in a Greek and Roman culture, instead, whoever wants to be great from now on, among you must be your, what's the word? Must be your servant. And whoever, this was so shocking, whoever wants to be first needs to be a what? A slave to all. Like Paul, when he comes along later, you can look it up in the New Testament, he talks about we are slaves to Christ. He uses that terminology, which the way Christ died, they viewed him as a slave because only slaves died under the death of crucifixion. And so when Paul writes this, he's committing social suicide because he is putting himself at the bottom rung to go, we are the slave of a slave because now there is an upside down kingdom. And because of Jesus, greatness looks different. It's so interesting, like in this culture, like everything was based on status. Your status determined your greatness. Um, they had a, a, a term, curious honor, the race for honors. Everything reinforced this. So even what was legal was based on your status. If you were at a certain class, what you could get away with was different than somebody else. Um, you couldn't be crucified unless you were a slave because that was dishonorable. You could be beheaded and burned alive, but they felt like that was better than being crucified. Everything was based on class. You would invite people to parties. This is how bad it was in the first century. And they would invite other guests to the party based on that person being able to make them look great. So like you're socially inept, you're sitting right next to me because I want to highlight how amazing I am. It's, it's how they would do seating charts. In fact, they had another thing where in the first century in this Greek Roman culture, when you gave a gift, it was always pretty 
quid pro quo. You had to give another gift of equal value. This is literally true. They would invite people to parties that were lower class or not as wealthy, and then they would give them gifts that would bankrupt them in order to highlight how amazing they were. There was class system with slaves. So even if you were a slave, you wear a slave cap. So like, yeah, I'm a slave, but I'm not like a lower echelon slave. It was crazy. Everything was based on status. Everything was based on honor, based on how much you made, how much you achieved, where you were born, whether you were Roman or not. They even wrote books about it. This guy Plutarch wrote a book, how to, excuse me, how to praise yourself inoffensively. This is their version of Instagram or Twitter. Like, how do you humble brag? Let me write a book about it. Because this is everything. Another guy wrote a book called The Achievements of the Divine Augustus. You know who wrote it? Caesar Augustus. Like, I just, I'm gonna write a book and I'm gonna tell you all of my achievements. Like, everything was based on that. Even, I've said this before, even among the gods. Like, if you were lower class, you weren't as wealthy, you weren't born where other people were born, you got like, Bob, if you were a higher class wealthy, you got Zeus and Jupiter. Even the gods were based on class. Everything centered around this. And so in this moment where Jesus is with the guys to go, hey, I'm about to redefine greatness and it is gonna look different now. And so you know how in culture, everybody lords it over everybody else, might makes right. I mean, that's just how everybody views it. It is about to change and it's not gonna be that way with you. It's not gonna be that way with my new movement. When you find yourself in a position where you've got some authority and you've got leverage in the relationship and everybody's looking to you, maybe not even based on title, but based on the fact that you just, with your personality, you capture attention. When you find yourself in that place, in that room and with that authority, mark my words, it is not for your benefit. It is not from you. You didn't create it as much as you think you did. And it is not solely for you. It's for the sake of people around you, when you're in a relationship and with that word, you can shut it down and you can have the leverage with him and with her. I want you to come at that relationship from a different perspective. When you walk into the room or the organization and suddenly there's a decision that it's gonna be best for you, but it's not gonna be best for the whole, I want you to begin to redefine greatness. Not anymore. And then Jesus walks with his guys and within days they're heading into Jerusalem and you probably know the story. And I can't, I always say this, but I can't overstate the tension and the emotion and what Jesus' disciples were feeling because they know that not Jesus is gonna die within a few days. They're not really sure about that, but they know that, that the enemies are crowding in around them, that they've lost the crowds. They don't have the influence that they used to have and they're waiting for Jesus to usher in the kingdom. And so, you know the story probably of they rent an upper room apartment and Jesus and his disciples go there into that apartment and they're all around the table and they are all leaning in because they know that something's gotta happen. And Jesus like, if you're gonna usher in this kingdom, if we're gonna overthrow Rome, now's about the time to make a move. You need to do something. We're waiting on you to act. And so what's next for us? And Jesus, in that moment where all eyes are on him, where they know that things are coming to a head, you probably know the story. He gets up from a table and he begins to demonstrate and articulate this new definition of greatness in a way that they would never forget. And literally, I don't overstate this, in a way that would change the world. 
In fact, today, 2,000 years later, the way you view greatness, secular historians will tell you, in many cases is based on what Jesus introduced in this moment. Because when you think of a great person, not somebody great at something, you know somebody's great at something, they are not a great person. A great person at some level defines the way that Jesus defined it in the first century with what happened in this moment in this room. And John records it in John 13, three. And he says this, that moment they're leaning in, they know something's about to happen. And Jesus says that he knew that the father had put all things under his, what's the word? Under his power. And that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. And this is such a huge moment because Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. But this is a moment where he knew why he came. He knew why they were in Jerusalem. He knew what was about to happen. But there is a special realization in this moment that he knew that all power is at my fingertips. What's about to happen, I can rewrite it. I can change it. I can alter it. The narrative is mine, all power, all authority, all creation is under me. What do you do in the moment where you realize everything in the world is at your fingertips? He got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And this is so dramatic, I don't want to overstate it, but his robe was a sign of rabbinical authority. He was a rabbi. They looked at him as a rabbi and as a teacher. And so in this moment when he's taking off his robe, it signifies to them his rabbinic authority, that he is laying aside willfully his authority and his power, and he wraps the towel around his waist. And here was the thing with followers of rabbis is they would do everything that the rabbi said. Even today, Orthodox Jewish followers and their rabbis, they do whatever they do. They go into the bathroom, they follow them into the bathroom. They do everything the rabbi does. In this moment, as Jesus takes off his authority, wraps the towel around his waist, they knew not fully what Jesus was doing, but here's what his disciples knew, that what he was about to do in that moment, there was going to be a day because he's their rabbi that they were going to have to do the exact same thing. And Jesus wraps the outer clothing around his waist and he begins in a moment to wash his disciples' feet. And I can't overstate, again, the shock value because only a slave would do this. If you go to a party, you would hire somebody to do this, you would contract it out, but you would not wash somebody else's feet. Only a slave in culture would do this, let alone the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And he kneels down and takes a basin and takes a towel and begins to wash his disciples' feet, which is a whole nother level. Like my, my little boy, Ryder, he's similar to me. He's got a huge thing with feet to where you've got to have shoes or socks on at all time or he freaks out. So the other day I was walking by his sister's room, his older sister, Brooke, and I see him out of nowhere just, I mean, boom, push her across the room. And so immediately, this goes back to last week's message, I go to the closet to get the specially manufactured um, device that we administer punishment with. And I grab it and I run into the room and I'm like, dude, what, what are you doing? Why? I just, I happened to catch that. Why did you push her across the room? And he's like, I don't like her feet. <laughs> I see her feet. 
She needs to get some shoes on or some socks on, but I don't like her feet. And I'm there with the paddle. I'm like, I totally get it. I'm not going to do anything right now. But like, he just can't stand it. And here Jesus is taking on himself what only a slave would do. And he kneels down, the savior, the world, hours before he's going to die. And he begins to wash the disciples' feet, and what he's doing is putting on display what greatness is gonna look like in a way that they would never forget. If it's in your power to act, I want you to act. If you find yourself with authority, I want you to leverage that authority, but I I don't want you to leverage it for you. I want you to leverage it for the sake of the people around you. And Jesus in that room kind of unspoken, I... I want you to go be great like that. When you walk in, when the eyes are on you, when you're about to sign on the dotted line, you have the title, you have the corner office, you're leading the organization, your kids are looking at you, you have the upper hand in the relationship. It is not for you. It is for the sake of the people around you. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, verse 5, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And then skip down, verse 8. I love Peter, and I'm not not throwing shade. I want to talk to Peter. I relate with Peter. Um, What he says next is right after an encounter before this where he got called Satan by Jesus, where Jesus is like, I got to go into Jerusalem, and it's going to end with me dying. And Peter's like, no, it's not can't end that way. And Jesus is like, hey, Satan, get behind me. So that was a bad moment for Peter. And then right after that, he's sitting at the table. You figure he would kind of learn. And Jesus is like, I got to wash your feet. And Peter's like, no, no. Peter, you just got called Satan, man. Tone it down and just like listen for a second. No, you, you, you're never going to wash my feet. What Peter's saying is, Jesus, I've been around you long enough to know You're great. I've watched you motion with your hands and raise dead people from the dead. I've watched you use your hands to direct nature and storms and they obeyed. I've watched you use those hands on those who were blind and after a touch from your hand, they could see. I watched you touch a leper and the leper didn't make you unclean. You made the leper clean. I've washed what you've done with those hands. You are not washing my feet. Greatness doesn't do that. And Jesus is like, Peter, I'm about to redefine greatness in a way that's going to redefine the role and the perspective of kings and emperors. Like 2,000 years from now, Peter, nobody's going to consider Caesar Augustus great anymore. Caesar Augustus is going to be a footnote to me, a Jewish carpenter. People are going to name their dogs Nero and Caesar. They're going to name their kids after you, Peter. Greatness in the world is going to change. This is exactly what greatness does. And so he had finished washing their feet, verse 12, and he put his clothes on. He returned to his place and he said, do you understand what I've done for you? Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so for that's, that's what I am. That's who I am. But here's what you do with the title. Now that I, your Lord, your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet because I've set you, what's the word? Okay, help me preach it. I've set you, 
an example that you should do as I've done for you. Like you, you always hear people talk about like a circumstance where everything hits the fan and things are bad and they're humbled by their circumstances. But nobody does that willfully until Jesus. He's like, I, I'm going to willfully choose to humble myself. And if you want to follow me, this is what it looks like. And I love it. If you know history, he, he right after this, he sets up this new movement and says, hey, my followers, this is what it's going to look like. When you set up this thing called the church, this movement generationally to the world, this is what it's going to look like. And they began to take it seriously. And they went into villages and they nursed people to health at many times the expense of their own health. Many times they died as the priests would cut and run. They would go find babies who were discarded. They would try to nurse them back to health. They would go into prisons and there's secular literature that exists even today that talks about the Jesus followers going in there and trying to feed the prisoners. They would go to women and women were the most attracted to the church in the first century because that was the one place they had a home and a culture that didn't view them as people. And over and over again, this movement began to move forward to go, hey, we are followers of Jesus, which means we wash more feet even of Roman oppression. We're gonna do what Jesus did. And I'm telling you was amazing because Zeus and Jupiter, they would inspire people to go into the Colosseums and be willing to kill other people. It was Jesus who inspired people to go into those same Colosseums and die. And in 300 years after this night in this moment, the Roman Empire declared Christianity the legal religion of Rome. This is so crazy to me. And nobody worshiped Jupiter anymore. Because Jesus said, Mark 10, 45, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for a whole lot of people. And he's like, and now it's your turn. If you ever find yourself with leverage, if you ever find yourself with influence, if you ever find yourself with authority, if you're the guy that they're looking to at the table, if you walk into the house and somehow you've, you've got the upper hand, I want you to leverage and use it and give it away for the sake of other people. And Jesus to those guys that night says, I want you to go be great. Go be great. And I love to quote Bob Goff, and you don't need to Instagram it, just go be secretly great. It doesn't matter about your circumstances, your IQ, you're in a job you don't want to be in. None of that matters. He's like, wherever you are and whatever you're walking through right now, I want you to go to that place, the drive through window tomorrow, and I want you to be great. And when you find yourself with anything as leverage, I want you to understand it is not for the sake of you. So can I just give you three things real quick? Here's three things that I think lead the way for us as Jesus followers. If you're not a Jesus follower, you can point your finger at us and call us hypocrites because we deserve it. We need to redefine leadership for the sake of the lead and not the leader. I think this is true in culture, but I think this is true in the church. It is not about power. It is not about building buildings, building our kingdom, creating denominational dividing walls. We are about changing the city. And I think Jesus would say this, in my kingdom, power and authority are no match for humility. 
If you wanna know what it looks like to move forward church, it means you need to get comfortable putting yourself at the bottom. And I've talked about this a lot, but we need to get comfortable in a culture where it is post-Christian. We are increasingly seen as hateful. They don't understand what we believe. We are marginalized. And I'm telling you, we need to get comfortable with that. We need to embrace that. It is not about trying to secure more red states or get more leverage or more control or take back anything. I'm not saying don't be involved. I'm saying it is not the chief way forward. It is to get ourselves to the bottom because at the bottom in culture and according to history is where the church is perfectly positioned to influence culture, not with politics, not with leverage, not with the moral majority, not with trying to control people, but with the love and the grace of Jesus that says, no matter who you are, I've been called to wash your feet because I serve a man named Jesus. And that's what greatness looks like now. I gotta go quick. I just wanna say some things real quick. I think the whole idea, can I just talk for a second? I'll let you out of here. Is that, I, the whole idea of celebrity Christian culture, I think is a freaking joke. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but when we get into positions where anybody thinks that whatever they've been given or whatever platform they have, is, it's for the sake of them, it's for the sake of them building their thing, a name on a sign, a name on some kind of plaque, you get around people and, God, I'm, I'm asking people around me to help me never go down this road, but I get around guys who, who are in positions in ministries and churches constantly giving their resumes. And I just wanna go, who are you? We're the church. We serve Jesus. We are slaves to a slave. There is no prophet. There is no priest. There is no king but Jesus. There is no dividing wall. We are all on equal ground and we are serving Jesus. He leveled the playing field. And I think even as leaders, wherever you are, and many of you, you, you gotta take responsibility in this. We need to be real with people and stop creating some kind of facade where they feel like they can't be real with God. I'm nobody other than what Jesus has given me. You are nobody other than what Jesus has given you. Our church is nothing in terms of a name on a sign or our kingdom. We are about changing the city for Jesus. And it is not about one person. It's not about somebody who's in an ivory tower separating themselves from everybody else. We have got to be a church that levels the playing field and washes feet for people around us, no matter what position or title we have. That is the way to change our city. And the same is true for you right now. You're gonna walk into a classroom. You're gonna walk into a business. You're gonna walk into a boardroom. You're gonna walk into your family. And I'm telling you, the same applies to you that whatever you have been giving, greatness looks like for you, using that to empower and to elevate them even when you don't like them. I think the second thing is that we gotta prioritize the marginalized and discounted. And we've talked about this in the series, but this is what greatness looks like. I don't think, let me just talk to the church for a second. This can't be a thing that we do. This has got to be the thing that we do. This has got to be the whole deal. And can I just be real honest? Can I just tell you what my fear is? My fear is that we become another middle-class country club church with a lot of white people. That's my fear. And can I tell you from the beginning, like kind of what our way forward when we first started this, we had no money and we had like three people who were giving and nobody's taking a salary. I mean, it was just, Jesus, we believe that you've called us to this and we're gonna be a church that reaches the discounted and marginalized. And I remember getting a call early on and I think it was a defining call and, 
It's one of our leaders, and he's like, hey, this dude doesn't like the decision that we're making, and we made a lot of decisions that ticked a lot of people off, not on purpose, but we weren't taking opinion polls. It was what does Jesus want from us and what kind of church should we be? And so he's like, I think he's going to stop giving if we make this decision. And I just remember in that moment, I just felt like there was clarity. Listen, nobody's ever going to buy influence around here. We are a kingdom movement in community with one another. And it doesn't matter how much you give or how much you serve or what seminary you graduated from or how much education you have. You're just a foot washer and we are here for the city. We are here for the discounted. We are here for the marginalized. And here's the thing, people misunderstand this. We are all about as our primary mission, helping people grow in a relationship with Jesus. That's what we do. And then helping other people discover Jesus so they can grow in a relationship with Jesus. That's what we're all about. But we do not cater to those people. If you're a follower of Jesus, we always ask followers of Jesus to give up the most because you have the hope and life of Jesus and we're here for you to help you grow in your faith, but that doesn't mean we're here to cater to you. You give up your seat first. You attend an inconvenient service time first. You go sacrifice first. You give up first. You put earplugs in your ears during the music first. You do whatever you gotta do because we are not here for you. We are here for Jesus. And if you wanna know what it looks like to grow in a relationship and faith journey with Jesus. It means you get yourself to the bottom and you go grab the alcoholic who doesn't smell good. You go get some friends outside of your soccer mom group. You go invite people who are struggling in addiction. You reach out to people who do not have what you have and do not live the way that you live because that is the example of Jesus. We are a gathering of GEDs and PhDs, those with a lot, those with a little, and we are on equal ground washing one another's feet for the kingdom, and we have got to focus on that. So I just say that to say this, help us do that. Please do not let us become another middle class, everybody's comfortable, do my thing and go my way. That is not the church. Help us embrace what this thing has been called to be. And I'm telling you, the casualty is always gonna be your comfort. And that's okay, you're a follower of Jesus. You serve a savior that got on his knees, made himself a slave and washed the feet of other people. I'm not better than that. You're not better than that. And then the final thing, can we just say this is, we're only gonna find our best life when we give away our life. I love what Moses wrote in Psalm 90, 12. Maybe you've heard it. God, teach us to number our days so that we gain a heart of wisdom. And what Moses was saying is, I kind of wish this for you in some kind of weird way, is I wish that you could spend more time with dying people. Because you get to the final moments of their life and they have more clarity than you and I ever have about what's important, about what they should have invested in, and the fact that, that their 401k and their beach vacation in that moment or how legit their kid was on a soccer field, it doesn't matter. What matters to them in that moment is what they gave away in terms of their life. And Moses is like, God, teach me to number my days that this amount of breath is gonna run out and I don't wanna wait to my final moments to understand and have clarity about what's important. I wanna reach into those final moments and I wanna bring them into today and I wanna live that way. And where you find your best life is to give your life away. Paul said it this way, if, if you're a part of the church and um, if you're not a Jesus follower, we just want you to come to know Jesus. But here's what he says to us as Jesus followers. Now you collectively are the body of Christ. You are the physical representation of Jesus, not you by yourself. You as 
as we gather for strength and as we scatter into the city for light. And each one of you individually is a part of it. And I'm just telling you, when you begin to be who you are, it's a part of your DNA and identity. Somebody should have told you when you embrace Jesus. When you begin to be who you are, I'm telling you, your life begins to change. If you want to find life, give it away. Sometimes I'm kind of sad for people who are trying to sleep with it. They're trying to drink it. They're trying to vacation it. They're trying to accumulate it. You will not find it there. It's going to overpromise. It's going to underdeliver. It is found by giving your life away. And it's in that moment that you start to find life. Can I introduce you to a couple people real quick? And I just want to illustrate this for you. Um, my friend Shelby has an incredible story. I got to know her about three years ago and she um, grew up in a Christian home. They believed in Jesus, but she began to struggle with just who she was. Her worth in Christ led to anorexia and self-harm and this terrible view of herself that spiraled out of control. At 15, she ended up uh, in a home in Nashville, Tennessee, and struggled with it there. She talks about the fact that she saw things there that you just, it's hard to even almost describe. She got out of that and still continued for a little while in that cycle of self-harm and anorexia and hurt and just desperate. And then there was a moment where she really discovered in a real way the love of Jesus, how he loved her that began to change everything. She said, almost in that moment, I knew that what I had been called to do was invest and pour into other young girls who are gonna walk through the same thing. And, and that was 10 years ago. She's married, incredible woman. Her husband is an incredible guy. And she began serving in Velocity three years ago. The first night she was there, she, she dealt with a transgender student that kinda was a, a picture of how God would use her. And she comes every single week, incredibly busy. She's got a lot going on, by the way. And she gets in a circle with girls and I don't know how many girls she's prayed over and cried with and said, I, I get where you're at and given her life away and shared her number and been inconvenienced at times where it just was really, really hard. And she says that every week that I walk out of that, I am more aware of the love of Jesus and my love for these girls than you could even imagine. And I just tell you that to say, if you wanna know what greatness looks like, that's what greatness looks like. There's a guy by the name of Chuck, and Chuck never looks this good. So this is the one photo where Chuck looks good, and his wife, Jean. And uh, Chuck has struggled with mental illness for a lot of years. And um, we've gotten to know them. Well, I remember sitting in their house, and he, he told us about his journey for hours. And we've been touched by that. So like we get it and it's, it's been decades. Gene has walked with him so faithfully. He at one point ended up in a psych ward. As an adult, he was hospitalized and Jesus is not healed fully, but he's healed in an incredible way. And he said there was a moment for him where he understood the broken and the marginalized and discounted in a way that he never would have felt for them, if not for this mental illness. And now every single week he goes into Plant City, a lot of other people struggling with the same types of mental illnesses. And he um, creates these bags that he gives away and he just prays over and prays with and encourages and spends time with and gives food and whatever else is needed to homeless people in that area. And he never Instagrams it. He never tells anybody about it. But I'm gonna tell you, if you wanna know what greatness looks like, that's what greatness looks like. Or my friend, now you can clap. 
Last one, my friend Jerry, I was just thinking about him this week. He is 74 years old. He's coming to our 1230 every single week. I don't know that he's ever missed a week. Even um, when he had some physical issues and cancer, he would show up and like, I wouldn't miss this. Some of us, we, we can't get out of bed because we had a long weekend. He's going through cancer treatment and he serves as an usher, just ushering people to their seat every single week. And I got to know him a long time ago. He's been a missionary with Gideon's for years. And um, we were talking, knew my dad. And I just had the best conversation with him. And one day he's like, I'm gonna come to your church. I'm like, no, Jerry, don't come to my church. Because um, you just make judgments. Like, I don't think you're gonna like it. And we're like, we have, a, we have a great friendship. I don't wanna offend you. Like, don't come to my church. And he came anyway. And I remember like him and his wife, so faithful, loved it, began to bring their granddaughter and got involved. And every week I'll walk in and he'll grab my arm. He's like, can you believe what Jesus is doing? And one time I asked him like, why are you here? Why do you do what you do? Like, why are you back there every single week, even when you're struggling so much physically, just ushering people to their seats? He's like, listen, I, I just have a heart to see the next generation come to know Jesus. There's nothing I would rather do. That's what greatness looks like. So can I just say this as we end? Some of you are, you're in a place right now where you're like, okay, Jesus, what do you have next? Or I wanna get to this place, or I'm hoping I get this promotion. I'm hoping we can move up. I'm hoping we can rectify the relationship. Can I just give you this insight that in many cases, obedience, walking by faith, doing what you've been called to do right now to follow the example of Jesus is the thing that brings clarity for the future and what your next step is. And so I just wanna encourage you because I think the church has lost this. We are so, so obsessed with titles and ministry positions and where you work and what you have hanging on the wall. Go wash feet wherever you are. You're to drive through window and you don't like it. Be great there and wash feet. Go into the classroom. You can't stand the students right now. Begin to wash feet. Jesus is doing something in that place. Go back into the home where it is a struggle and you don't know if they're ever gonna change, but you're in a marriage where, hey, what if I made their deal bigger than my deal? And you're like, you don't know them. It doesn't matter. When you begin to get down and figuratively and maybe literally wash feet, it changes the iciest relationship. Go into the boardroom where you got leverage and go, how can I wash their feet? How can I give influence away? How can I empower them? You go into a relationship with your adult kid who walked away a long time ago, and yes, you feel like you're right. It doesn't matter. You're a follower of Jesus. You give up, you let go, you're willing to be wrong and you're willing to be wronged and you are someone who follows as a savior who washed more feet, figure out how you can do that in that relationship. And I'm telling you, it is an invitation for the activity of God. Go be great wherever you are. And just last thing, if you are not willing to be great here, you are not gonna be great over there. You begin today to wash feet right where you are, right in that relationship, right in that boardroom, right in that classroom, right in that drive-through window. That's what greatness looks like as a follower of Jesus. Would you guys stand with me? Would you stand with me? Can you, seriously, I, I don't know if any of that landed, but can, can you imagine? Can you imagine? I, I think the face and the reputation of the church would change. And people would come around us and they would like, I don't even know if I believe what you believe. And some of it's just weird. But I'll take marriage advice from you. I don't know if I believe any of the things that you believe, but dang it, I'd love to work for you, work with you, be a part of what you're a part of, because I'm, I'm telling you, when you begin to serve the way Jesus served, it's attractional. It's almost irresistible. 
And it's something that the church and followers of Jesus, we need to regain. And for some of you that haven't experienced that from us, I just wanna say, I'm sorry. And so as a church, can I just encourage you as we go our way, we're a body of Christ. I've been called to lead the way a bunch, along with a bunch of other people, but we're a body, every part matters. And we need to embrace this. Where are you washing feet? Where are you giving away what you've been given? For some of you, it's your deepest hurt. And you've been given that hurt to leverage for the sake of other people. How you doing in washing those feet? And wherever you're at right now and you're so discouraged and you're wondering the way forward and you're wondering what's next, just do it. What if you just followed the example of Jesus right there? You have no idea what God might do. So all over the house, would you just pray with me? And if this is something that, that is moving from your head to your heart and there's some kind of application that you need to embrace today, you can just declare that by reaching your hands out to me and agreeing with me in prayer. But I wanna pray for us and I wanna pray with us as a church and you as an individual Jesus follower. You don't need to be crazy about this. It's just an arm raised if you're feeling this. We're the church, it's okay to do that. You just pray with me right now if that's you. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for what you're doing in this moment. And more than anything, thank you for your example. And I know even this week, letting this wash over me, I, I've got a long way to go. But I thank you for, for you. I thank you for this true north. I thank you that it constantly leads me back to know what it means to embrace this upside down subversive kingdom. And so even in my own life right now, where you're speaking to me, where you're showing me things, I just, I want to follow you. I wanna not be afraid. I wanna be willing to give up. I wanna be willing to let go. I wanna be willing to, be misunderstood. I want to be willing to not be right. And I want this to be characteristic of me. And God, I pray that this would be characteristic of our church. And I pray that wherever we're at right now, I know some people are really discouraged right now in this moment. I just pray that this would be the way forward that is so countercultural. We're in a place where we don't know what to do and don't know where to go. We, we just need we need to get on our hands and knees and we need to wash feet wherever we are. And so God, do your things in individual hearts and lives. And my hope and prayer is that we would give you all of the glory because you are worthy of it. I thank you so far today for how you have met us here. And so we pray all of this in Jesus' incredible name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is, we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.